Today on CityCast Philly, the Greyhound Bus Company closed its downtown building this summer, forcing travelers to wait for their bus outside along 6th and Market Streets, rain or shine. This week, the curbside terminal is moving again, but only to another curbside location in a different neighborhood. I'm speaking with Inga Saffron, architecture critic at the Philadelphia Inquirer, about what she says this all means for travelers. It's Wednesday, November 15th. I'm Trinae Ree, and here's what Philly's talking about. Inga, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Trinae. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So you've been writing about Philly's lack of charter bus stations for years. And for some months now, I've heard that travelers using Greyhound haven't had the best experiences while waiting for their bus. Inga, what do you think? Is moving the bus terminal from Old City to Northern Liberties an upgrade for riders? I do think it has the potential to be better than the current chaos on Market Street. That was just inhuman when uh, the Greyhound service was moved to Market Street. There were absolutely no facilities. There was no shelter. There were no bathrooms. There were no no access to food. That was just horrible. And in addition, the buses were queued up in what was supposed to be a dedicated bus lane for SEPTA. So it totally wreaked havoc with the SEPTA system. So now all the services, Greyhound, Flixbus, Peter Pan, mm-hmm. Megabus, are being moved to uh, Spring Garden and Columbus Boulevard. And yes, I think that's that's going to be better. The city has said that it's going to install some portable toilets. I don't know if there's any plans for shade or shelter. Um, it is still a, a curbside situation, but it's less. There's less traffic, so it's a little calmer. So I, I think that is an improvement in that in that sense as a, as a temporary solution, not as a long term solution. Right. So I'm curious, like, why did the city even move it in the first place? So just to to go back a little bit for your listeners, there there was a, a Greyhound terminal. And that was on Filbert Street, right? On Filbert Street. And it had been there since, I think, the 80s. And that served Greyhound and a couple of other buses, New Jersey Transit. Um, But that Greyhound didn't own that site. And um, it was bought and sold a couple times. And, you know, it's right in the heart of Center City. And obviously, the land became quite valuable. And a real estate company wanted to sell it. And they did. Um, ultimately, it was bought by the Sixers. So the city sort of dumped the Greyhound service onto Market Street. That was just a disaster. Um, so there was a you know an outcry from a lot of different places about that situation, both from the riders, from the business people, from other city leaders. And so as a stopgap, they've now moved the whole operation to Spring Garden. Um, you know, which does have the, the, you know, advantage of being close to the Spring Garden L stop. There are two bus lines that serve that location. 
you know, the downside, as I said, is that there are very few amenities. And in addition, those buses are now going to block the existing bike lanes. That's a key access point to this wonderful waterfront trail that's been created. Do we know how many people use this mode of transportation? Like how popular are these buses? So I, I looked up some numbers right before we started talking and some of them are a bit out of date, you know, because the pandemic changed things. But I saw in uh, 2019, there were 14 million what they call person trips between Philadelphia and New York in one year, 14 million. You know, I should say a few things about intercity bus travel because you know, people who ride the buses don't get any respect. I've uh, been there. Yeah. You know, the number of people who use intercity buses far exceeds the number of people who use Amtrak. But Amtrak gets a government subsidy. So, so that's one thing. And, you know, the business has become more competitive and cutthroat. And that, that is a result of deregulation in the 1980s. Uh, you know, it took some time for the sort of business model to change. And then in the early 2000s, we started seeing a lot of these short haul intercity bus companies like Megabus and Flixbus, or there was one called Boltbus. There's like a, a whole slew of them. So these were, you know, short haul intercity um, bus services. You'd get on in Philly, you'd get off in, um, you know, Philly, New York, Philly, Washington. Uh, that was it. The, the really big difference with Greyhound is, is that's a network. And, and there are people who get on in LA and they, they're coming to Philly or New York or wherever, and they're changing two or three times, you know, just like people who take a plane and they have to change planes. Um, so you have these stopovers and that's what the terminals are for. You can, you know, use the restroom, you can have a seat. Uh, if it's raining or snowing, uh, you can stay inside. So it's one thing for these short haul carriers to have sidewalk pickups. You know, people are, you know, they don't usually have a lot of luggage. They get on, they get off. It's quite a different thing for Greyhound to pick up people on the sidewalk. It's like an airline. You wouldn't expect people to to line up on the tarmac <laughs> and to wait on the tarmac between flights, right? We have we have airline terminals. We should have bus terminals. So I want to talk a little bit more about this curbside model of of transportation. So now Philly will continue to have no bus terminal and Greyhound riders, for example, will get picked up curbside. They'll line up along the sidewalk with their luggage, wait for their bus to arrive. For years, we've seen this through Megabus and like you mentioned, Flixbus companies operated curbside along 30th Street Station, right? And there was no building, no waiting room, no bathroom, no restaurants to get snacks. That was a part of their business model. What about that business model worked for those companies? When those kind of short haul companies began popping up in the early 2000s, they, their fares were unbelievably cheap. 
You know, right. you, I remember you can get a bus ticket for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, right. That was a, a kind of gimmick they had. But, you know, even at $10, they were re- really, really cheap to go to New York or Washington. And the way, one of the ways they kept fares so cheap was by picking up curbside and not in a terminal. They didn't have to pay the docking fees. Oh, I see. They didn't have to pay any overhead for real real estate. They do have to pay the city a small fee, like around five thousand dollars a year, for occupying the curb. But you know, it's nothing compared to the fees that they would pay. So it's like budget airlines, where you have to pay for your luggage, pay you know, <laughs> pay to get a seat that you want. Um, they you know stripped it down to the bare minimum and. Initially, I remember being very excited about this because they had really nice buses in the beginning and they had Wi-Fi when that was a new thing. Right. And they also had um, stations where you can charge your phone or your laptop. Right, right, right. So it was in the beginning, I thought, oh, this is this is really great. I can go to New York for the day for 10 bucks and, you know, uh, I'll put up with waiting on the sidewalk for a few minutes. But over time, as they became a you know bigger part of the business and um, you know, I remember waiting on, on the sidewalks in terrible, terrible weather and being like herded, you know, into lines. And, um, you know, it just seemed really, uh, really inhuman way to treat people. That's not how we want to run things in this, in this city um, or anywhere. I've seen the same thing in New York and other places where we're not alone. But you know, it became clear over time that that was not a good model for managing intercity bus transportation, even for these short haul carriers. But Inga, I'm curious, though, what goes into designing a bus terminal in a major city? I visit a lot of cities for my work. And, you know, I've seen bus stations in other cities. I mean, of course, the Port Authority in New York is the the biggest and the most famous, and it's been renovated recently. But in Boston, they have a beautiful, beautiful bus station that is attached to one of their Amtrak stations. Uh, so it's it's intermodal. Uh, you can get off the train, you can get on a bus to um, a place that the train doesn't go. And lots of cities, Raleigh just built a new bus station inside a, a garage, Denver, Washington, D.C., all these cities have somehow figured out how to create bus stations. They're not beautiful architectural statements, but you know, they're civilized places to to wait for buses. And in the case of Boston and DC, um, they laid down the law to these bus carriers. They said you must use these terminals. If you're going to pick up passengers in the in the central business district, you mentioned Boston, D.C., even Denver. Like, why can't Philly get it right? <laughs> well, it needs some, you know, leadership at the top, and we haven't seen that because we, you know, we have been talking about creating a new bus station for well over a decade. It first crossed my radar, I would say, uh, in 2016 when. Amtrak did a master plan for 30th Street Station. And in that master plan, they included a proposal for a bus station on the north side of 30th Street Station, which interestingly had had bus service historically. And then I guess it kind of withered away. Anyway, I saw that 
proposal and I thought it was just great. There's a big surface parking lot there. It would be very accessible to the train. So you'd have that intermodal aspect accessible to the market Frankfurt L. It's like perfect. And the other thing that I thought was good was the entrances to 76 and 676 are right there. You know, the the proposal for for the area north of 30th Street was a good one. And what happened to that? Uh, Yeah, so nothing happened because I don't think Amtrak was that serious. And no one on the city, like, took ownership of the idea. So, like, absolutely nothing happened. So time went by and Brandywine Realty, which is an office developer, started building on the parking lot where Megabus, right next to where Megabus was picking up on Arch Street. So that pickup location had to be changed. And now it's along the Schuylkill Avenue? Along Schuylkill Avenue. So when it was known that Megabus would have to move, a bunch of people sprung into action. Uh, People from the University City District, uh, from Brandywine, from the City Streets Department. And they began talking about, okay, where should we locate them? And um, people from the University City District and for Brandywine said, hey, you know, there's this whole um, below street level network of streets um, under under 30th Street Station and under the old post office. And there's a, a parking garage down there. And they said, oh, we could put the bus station right below the the old post office. But once again, no no political leadership from, from City Hall. So by default, it, it ended up on Schuylkill Avenue, where, which is, you know, well located in the sense of it's, it's a quick shot to 76 and 676. But, you know, it's the same old story. There's nobody thinks about the bus riders and there's no leadership from City Hall. With that. Are there plans to build a new bus terminal in Philly anytime soon? No plans whatsoever. I mean, despite everything we've been through in the last few months, you know, the city lives and dies on its connections with with the larger world. And, you know, if if we want our economy to be successful, if we want people to be able to get here for work and business and tourism, we have to make sure that there are multiple ways to get here. And the people feel good about it. And so even if you don't care about those bus riders, it's in our interest to have great transportation, great transportation connections with the outside world. That's why we've worked so hard to improve our airport. We want that to be a showpiece. We should do the same thing with our uh, intercity buses. Inga Saffron, architecture critic at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thank you so much for breaking this all down for me on CityCast Philly. Thanks, Trinae. It's nice to talk to you. You can read Inga's past coverage on this issue by clicking the links in our show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. If you enjoyed this episode about why Philly's moving the bus terminal again, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and hit that subscribe button. Be sure to sign up for our morning newsletter, Hey Philly, to learn more about what else Philly's talking about. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.